songbook open to that song we just sang. The title of the lesson today is Blessed Assurance, and that's the title of that song we just hymned together. Wasn't it true that as we sang that song, we are immediately reminded of some tremendous truths of the Word of God, some amazing things that really bolster our faith, and that not only do that, will provide for you and me the grandest of all the hopes that the Word of God has to offer for us. In that particular song, Blessed Assurance, in fact, that title will remind you probably of much of the ideas connected to some of the things that we're going to see today in our lesson. You may have noticed that the person who wrote that song, I didn't actually include it much on that slide. I thought that maybe that aspect of history might well be something we could share at another time and place. Fanny Crosby wrote that song, and if you perhaps are aware of some of the aspects of her, she was blind. In fact, became blind at a very, very young age, apparently due to a rather unfortunate, incompetent doctor. But otherwise, she wrote apparently around 9,000 songs, Bible-based songs. Her faith was etched in the characteristic of the things she could see through the eye of faith. One of the songs she wrote was Blessed Assurance. You may notice as you look at some of the words we just sang together, the words are stirring, they're rather enthralling, they etch within you and me, they, they pique our curiosity and our faith as well. Let's study today about blessed assurance. It's rather unfortunate that some of the things that are, serve as the backdrop are uncertainty. Have you been troubled by uncertainty? Have there been issues connected in your life that have brought elements of sufficient doubt that it caused you uncertainty? This song and the message that goes with it should, in fact, greatly oppose that. And so let's launch into the first part of our lesson like this. I'd like to highlight for all of us some of the aspects of danger. Danger connected to uncertainty. As we build some of the thoughts concerning this, we're going to do so rather directly because isn't it true that we are accustomed to launching into matters in life and doing that understanding that there are certain things beyond that we are not promised. Have you ever been in a position in life when maybe an opportunity for some element of a career came before you? And you didn't know whether to take it or not. It certainly might work out to be a tremendous blessing, but it could also work out to be a rather sad disaster. And yet you make a decision and you follow through with that decision. There are other things in life, though, that may well be like it. Maybe there's an opportunity to buy a piece of land. It's going to cost a few hundred thousand dollars. Do I do it or not? We all may be in a position to have to make those kind of decisions. It's also true, though, that when it comes to our faith, there are times, if we aren't careful, that we can allow the machinery of the devil to bring about in us elements of doubt. Am I saved or am I not? I would encourage all of us to be mindful of that kind of approach on the part of the devil. If he can succeed in bringing into your mind and mine those washed in the blood of the Lamb, elements of uncertainty and doubt and wavering considerations in faith, he has accomplished a significant victory. It's quite likely our service to the Lord is not going to be much if we truly doubt whether or not we're even saved. 
May I point out that it was never the intent of the Lord, never the intent of the God of heaven, never the intent of those inspired New Testament writers to leave the guys and to leave the matter of that kind of uncertainty. It was never their intent. You may notice about the middle of that slide. May I point out that there are various things that the Lord Himself has promised. May I ask how sure we are of these? Do we believe what He said concerning these? If we put the kingdom first, and I said put the kingdom first, it can't be second, that isn't good enough. If the kingdom is first, He has absolutely promised that there will be food on our table, a roof on our head, and clothes on our back. He promised it. Now, it may not be as luxurious as we want, but it'll be there. We may not eat a seven-course meal every meal of the day, but there will be food on the table. One of the most majestic things the Lord ever promised was that very passage in Matthew 6, in which, beginning in verse 24 and continuing to verse 33, He pointed out the very matter you and I just noted. If God takes care of birds, and if He takes care of grass, how much more will He take care of you, O ye of little faith? And yet sometimes do we doubt? Do we find ourselves unwilling to commit to that degree of appreciation? May I suggest that we should believe what the Lord said. It is that point that takes you to the next one. Could I remind all of us that there was one occasion when Jesus rather strongly rebuked His apostles because their faith was too little. You remember it well. There was a storm that arose at sea. Jesus was asleep. And they came and woke Him up, and they were so concerned about their life. Don't you care that we're about to die? In response, the Lord said, O ye of little faith. Now the Lord could read their minds. He knew how little their faith was, and He knew otherwise how great at other times it could be. But at that moment... He said their faith was little. If the Lord in person addressed you and me today, would He characterize us as being people of little faith? Or would He commend us like He did in Matthew 8 to be a person of great faith? Which would it be? Oh, I hope that He would not characterize us as people of little faith. I hope that He would see in us an element of faithfulness and conviction in light of what He said, that we would be those who would be absolute followers of Him in every regard, especially in light of the promises and the rewards that He's promised to His faithful children. The next passage I invited you to consider was a particular time when He addressed Peter. We all remember the scene, but it's still a stirring one. Peter was walking on water at this time. That by itself is remarkable. And yet, you might recall prior to that, Jesus said, Come. The Lord invited him to come out and step on that water. And he did it. He did it. May I ask, that alone certainly took some element of dedication to the thing the Lord had said. Jesus wasn't going to invite him to come into a place of danger, a place wherein he would not be cared for. And yet, as Peter found himself on that water in the midst of the wind and the waves, he began to lose some heart, and he began to sink. And it's then Jesus said, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? 
If the Lord could sustain him on the water in the first place, his faith should have been sufficient to allow him to continue in that way. Today, have you and I begun a Christian faith and then faltered and stumbled, begun to move in a direction that would, in fact, be rather unfaithful and uncertain? Oh, may we remember how the Lord chided certain of His own followers with their faith, was it as it ought to have been? As you close that particular slide with me, maybe there's one final example I'll mention here before we come to our New Testament consideration, and that's this one. Would you remember with me the children of Israel? Ponder what they saw and where they then were. They had come out of Egyptian bondage. They had seen ten amazing plagues. Many of those plagues they themselves had been protected from. Do you remember how interesting it was when the hail destroyed everything in Egypt, but it didn't touch a plant in the land of Goshen? Don't you know how startling that must have been? There was some boundary between God's people and everybody else. And yet on that wilderness trail, you and I remember they came to a time that they sent out a few spies, 12 to be exact, and 10 of them came back and said, that land is just as we've heard it was, a land flowing with milk and honey, and it is abundant but we can't take it. It is not in our capacity to take it. And although Joshua and Caleb disagreed with them, and although they urged them to think differently and to have conviction in God, the people wouldn't do it. And you might recall that in the sentence of punishment that God presented upon them, He said, you unbelieving people. That's what He called them. You are guilty of unbelief. Should they have been believing? Absolutely. Had God demonstrated His amazing features to them so many times prior to that? Absolutely. And yet, in the face of the evidence, and in the face of what God said, they still were unbelieving. I hope that that kind of thinking doesn't describe you or me today. As you close that slide with me, the Hebrew writer later would say that that kind of unbelief in Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 19, that kind of unbelief is dangerous. Let's turn the slide then and ask it this way. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, for a foretaste of heaven divine. You and I just sang a song together in which we declared and proclaimed our entrance to heaven. We were looking forward to it. We rejoiced in it. And as we did that, we seemingly were so happy. Look again at some of the words found in song number 71. It's true, we just sang all three verses, and I'm thankful Brother Cale led us in that song. Because the words, let me in fact read the three initial lines, and then we'll look at the chorus. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. As a part of that song, that opening verse at least, we spoke about being heirs of salvation. We spoke about being purchased by God. We spoke about the foretaste of glory in that wonderful realm beyond this one. Look at verse 2. Perfect submission, perfect delight, 
visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. The final verse reads like this. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. And then this chorus we sang three times. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. It would seem from the historical perspective that when Fanny Crosby wrote that song, she, as I mentioned before, was blind. But nonetheless, through the eye of faith, convicted about the eternal home awaiting the faithful and was able to pen words like this in connection to it. It would seem from history she wrote the entirety of that song in a few minutes. In a few minutes. May I say in light of all of that, what about your and my blessed assurance? Are you confident you're going to heaven? If you die this afternoon, where will you spend eternity? Many times as people are asked that question, we each understand that there's certainly a reason for distinctions in the way some would feel about it. And I think we all know there are people who aren't saved who will tell you that they are. We can't answer for them, but we know what the Bible says. But there are others who have obeyed the gospel, and yet they don't seem confident. Look at what that slide asks you to consider with me. I've tried to step through a few passages. I hope that you'll consider these with me in some seriousness, because I'd like you to notice that a moment ago we at least raised the issue, what has the Lord said? We would all agree, no doubt, we surely must believe what the Lord says. In John chapter 3, verse 16, the golden text of the Bible, at least for many people, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In John 5, 24, followed up by John 6, verse 40, The Lord Himself in speaking promised everlasting life to those that believe. Following that up with these considerations, the book of 1 John, that's where our lesson text of the morning, in fact, comes from. In 1 John 2, verse number 25, This is the promise which He hath promised us, even eternal life. What has He promised? Eternal life. You'll notice that follows up in chapter 5, verse number 11, wherein it is stated somewhat differently, but as strongly as this. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Stated as a promise, affirmed as a record, and yet as John penned these words, reminding those of that day, and you and me by inspiration as well, the beautiful promise connected to eternal life. Jesus stated it like this in John 14, Let not your heart be, be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Are there some who are going to go to heaven? Yes, the Lord said so. 
Are there many, however, that will not? Yes, the Lord said so in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. But we're talking today about blessed assurance. The next point on that slide is this one. There is one hope for a Christian, and it's laid up in heaven. Colossians 1, verses 5 and 6 detail that in some degree. That one hope so beautifully presented. I thought it entirely right to follow it up with this one. I know there are those who would be quick to say that in this life we enjoy great blessings from the Lord, and that's true. There's not one of us that would question that. On a daily basis, the bounty is truly grand. But may we never lose sight of this. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. If our faith doesn't lend itself to being that which goes beyond the grave, we're miserable. We are of all people to be pitied. Is your faith one in conviction, in absolute surety, with confidence able to say, if I die this afternoon, I'm going to heaven. And there's not a doubt in my mind about it. If there's a doubt, talk to one of our elders, please, or talk to myself. God didn't want any of us to languish under that kind of uncertainty. The next thing on that slide is just a reminder of a few other verses that are so uplifting. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 1, Paul was able in that passage to speak about matters quite like this. As this old body, in fact, wears away, he understood that through the eye of faith, we appreciate the eternity waits beyond. And then he said, For if the earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Do we believe that? Paul penned it to the Corinthian brethren. Surely he intended them to understand the kind of hope and promise contained within it. Paul wrote it like this as he considered his own demise and the own essence of his faith. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, I know whom I believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And later in the same book, chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them also that love is appearing. Paul was looking forward to what would transpire after his death. He knew there was a place in heaven for him. You and I can know it too. You and I can understand that too. And what an assurance, conviction that is. No wonder blessed assurance is in many ways a theme of the Christian life. As you close that slide with me, it still then is true that there are times you may ask a member of the Lord's church, are you going to heaven? If you die today, are you saved? And some are quick to say, well, I sure hope so. I think so. May I invite us to at least give thought at least that gives the impression that one isn't exactly sure, that one isn't exactly certain. This last slide is one that maybe asks us to think about some of the issues connected to that kind of 
thinking at least, I believe we'd all be quick to say, we do wish to be humble people. And so if someone maybe asks me I'm saved, I don't want to appear too arrogant, and I don't want to appear too much above, overwhelmed by that which is not humility. But that's not what we're talking about. One can be completely meek and humble and still with conviction say, yes, I'm saved, and I'm looking forward to going to heaven. And there isn't anything arrogant about that. There is nothing out of the bounds of what Paul himself wrote and said. And in fact, nothing out of the bounds of even what Peter affirmed as well. But you'll notice the next on that slide. And this takes us back to that text and to that consideration that began our sermon. It's far more likely that a danger lurking beneath that would be this. Do I really believe? in what the Lord said. We've already noticed he chided Peter and he rebuked the other apostles when their faith was too little. If you and I believe what the Lord says, then there is a home in heaven for the faithful. The only question is, am I among that number? And there's where we have to trust in the reality of the Lord's salvation, that which he makes available to us. Have you been baptized? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you expressed your belief and in so doing repented of the sins in your life? Have you confessed the great name of the Lord? And were you one who was immersed for the remission of your sins? If you were, you were saved at that moment. Your name was placed into the Lamb's book of life. Every single promise of eternal life was yours at that moment. Now, have you and I continued to live faithfully? The New Testament reminds us that we are not going to live sinlessly perfect. None of us can claim that. Even after the time of our immersion, we are told in 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, any man that says he has no sin is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We understand we're going to stumble and we're going to fall, but we must not remain in that kind of sinful life. We have to make the necessary repentance and come back to the Lord. And if we do that, we're saved. And we continue in that state. For that reason, on that slide, I ask you to consider some of these verses. Christians are forgiven people. Don't we love the thought of being forgiven by the Lord? His blood cleanses your sins and mine if we will but approach Him in the way He's commanded in order for that forgiveness to take place. It's still a fascinating thing to notice on that day of Pentecost when Peter said, in response to their question, What shall we do? He didn't tell them to pray. He didn't tell them to offer a certain amount of monetary and financial consideration. Those things would come later. But what they needed to do was repent and be baptized. And when they did that, they enjoyed the salvation connected to the blood of Christ which they had contacted in that baptism. I know that we've often reflected upon the day of your baptism. I hope you can remember it well, whether it had been at this building or some other place. But it was truly a monumental day, a day wherein you went from being lost to being saved, a day wherein you went from being outside the realm of what would be safe to the friendly confines 
of being in a fellowship relationship with God. It was truly an eternally changing day for you. As you and I think then about that day and what happened on that day, the power of the blood of Christ reached our soul, cleansed it from sin, and placed it in a pedestal place of safety. And as long as we live faithfully to the calling of the Lord, it will stay there. Of course, we may have made bad choices, and we may have chosen to live in a way to which that kind of sinful lifestyle drove us away from God. The book of John, the book of 1 John also talks about that as well reminding us about the need to come back to our first love, to return to that place of safety and that place wherein we again enjoy blessed assurance. It's certainly a sad and tragic thing to comment on matters such as this one. But do you realize how clearly the Bible reminds us of some of the statements that now are easily to be made? Would you turn with me to the book of Second Peter for just a moment? And in that passage, it's chapter number 2 that we will come to for our consideration. Second Peter chapter number 2, without reading the fullness of verses 18 and following, verse number 21 will occupy our thinking for a moment. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Those who've known the way of righteousness, they obeyed the Lord and they were reckoned as righteous and then made the choice to choose a different way of living, one the Lord would call sinful. The text says it's now worse for them than it was at the very beginning. Doesn't that remind us of the urgency of ever making sure that our heart and tenderness remains open to the teaching of the Bible so that we will rush back to it? It is with all that said, I'd like to close the lesson by inviting you to consider 1 John 5, verse 13, our lesson text of the morning. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Let's go back now and conclude the lesson like this. As John wrote this book of 1 John, as you and I contemplate blessed assurance... It says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. It is so reassuring, isn't it, to hear John say to those brethren to whom he wrote, I wrote these things so that you may know you have eternal life. Not that you suspect it, not that you ponder whether you may or may not, but you may know it. The Bible reveals to us a number of things that we can know. We can know about God. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 to 9 say our salvation depends on it. We can know that we're saved from sin. This verse teaches it. We can know that we're saved. I hope when someone invites you or me to provide answer, are you saved? Clearly not in an arrogant way, but we'll say based on the wording of the Word of God and my faithful obedience to it, I know that I am. Are you going to heaven? Absolutely. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, through His Word, has promised those forgiven of their sins 
and that live faithful to it are in that category. I hope that this lesson has been one that will, again, prompt us in reassurance to think about the comfort connected to being a faithful servant of the Lord. I use that word comfort because the Bible does. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, we are told we can comfort one another with words like those we have discussed today. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Is Jesus yours? If you've never rendered obedience to the commands of the gospel, then He's not yours, at least not yet. But within 10 minutes, that could change. Everything's ready. You could obey the gospel today. Do you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and do so with all of your heart? Are you ready to relinquish a life of sin, repenting of those things, attending to, to commit them no more? Are you ready to mouth that you believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Are you willing to allow yourself to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? You see, that doesn't take very long by way of what would be accomplished before us, and we could help you. We'd be delighted to do it. If you have known that way of life, but you've begun to live in a way that's unwise, living in a way that, in fact, based on the teaching of the Bible, is not right, make some changes. Don't stay in that way of life. Leave it behind. The Bible calls that repentance. As you confess those errors, the Lord will again forgive you of those sins. And to those who are faithful Christians, may I end with 1 John 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Every single moment of every day, if we're walking in the light, His blood will cleanse our sin so that we will stay in this state of blessed assurance. If we could help anybody today, we love to do it. We want to do that because we want you to know the blessed assurance that comes with a life of faithful Christianity. Brother Cale has chosen a closing song, and if you would be in a position that would wish to let it be known how we can help you, don't delay, but come at once while together we stand and sing.